I've got some great news for Football Nation Radio listeners. Our supportive partner, Northern Motor Group, is offering $250 off any in-stock vehicle this end of financial year. That's if you take delivery before the 30th of June. With eight big car brands, MG, Nissan, Kia, Isuzu Ute, Jeep, Ram, Samsung... Peugeot and Pacific Caravans, it's literally a one-stop shop for all your driving needs. Plus, with over 150 quality pre-owned vehicles, Northern Motor Group really does have your next vehicle purchase ready and waiting. Don't wait. Visit www.northernmotorgroup.com.au today. They're in Grimshaw Street, Bandura, and tell them George sent you. LMCT 6595. Are you looking to change your destiny in life? Be your own boss? Start your own business? If you are, you need people who understand your needs and are committed to helping you make it happen. At DKP and Co Chartered Accountants, we are more than just accountants. We are business advisors, taxation consultants, and strategists that specialize in setting up businesses. We understand the client and give them the very best customized advice and strategies to achieve their goals. Visit our website, dkpco.com.au, or give us a call today on 03 9023 9370. Fast, proactive, personal. That's DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. As promised, we said to you we had a special guest lined up for what promises to be a super exciting weekend. It's grand final time. Pakur Frimpong is smiling from ear to ear. I said to you, Simon Hill is going to join us. He's calling the game and lo and behold, via the magic of Zoom, he joins us as he's busy preparing for the uh, the Dolan uh, Warren medal coming up tonight. How are you, my friend? How are you, Simon? Can you hear us? I can't hear. Simon, where are you, Simon? I've got you. Ah, beautiful. So uh, I promised uh, Pakua that uh, we'd grab you and, um, as they say, despite your work schedule and the number of commitments you've uh, got today, how far away are we from starting the the official presentation for the end-of-year function, which has now become... Uh, part of the, 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 the sporting calendar. I'm talking about the, the Dolan Warren medal. Uh, we're about four hours away, just on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're feeling absolutely no nerves. How's preparation going? What, for the Dolan Warrens? Yes. Well, I'm not involved with the Dolan Warrens. I, I thought, you'd, I thought uh... you'd be involved. <laughs> How can they not include no, no, not you? Well, to be fair, I've been included many years in the past. I mean, I hosted these events yes, I know. for quite a few years. Yes. Um, but, you know, time moves on and uh, you <laughs> meet different faces. So, uh, is no, it, I'm happy. Is, Listen, I'm happy not to be working tonight. I'll just go and have a feed and, uh, and have a beer. Hey, listen, is there any truth in the rumour that you are so pent up waiting for the triple um, that City may <laughs> create magic if they finish the season as they, they almost uh, – you know, uh, showcased except for this last game against. Uh, uh, lo and behold, I, I didn't think they'd lose that game, but again, it's it's Brent. Uh, mm, Brentford have that have had that wood over a couple of clubs. They've beaten Arsenal. Did they not early in the season? Uh, 
Oh, no, we drew. Yeah. We, we you drew, drew or one lost? One. We drew 1-1. One, one. You drew 1-1. One, one. But it was well, a shock. They've beaten us twice. They've yeah, beaten us twice this season. What is it they've got? What is it that they've managed to get? They've got a good manager for a start. Thomas Frank is excellent. And they've got some good players, you know. I know Ivan Tony has got the long ban for uh, doing something he shouldn't with the batting. Oh. Um, but, you know, Brian and Burmo, I think he's an excellent player. Um, yes. and, and he showed his... all besides. And yeah. he showed... they've, they've, you know, they've got a good team ethic. They're well-led. They're organized. And particularly at home at that new stadium, you know, it can be quite a cauldron. So, uh, no, it's, it's no disgrace. And to be honest, you know, had there been something riding on that game, it might have been a different outcome. But with the Cup final and the Champions League final to come, I think it's it's understandable that Pep made some changes and perhaps equally understandable that you know City probably weren't quite at their best. Well, as we saw in the last episode of Ted Lasso, and I, I don't want to be a spoiled sport, but if you haven't seen it, you've missed out. Uh, City won that too. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? Yeah, they win. They win the EPL. I haven't watched Ted. Oh, you've got to see it. And this this season especially, it was maligned uh, in some quarters by a host of different people. But I think they've they've forgotten what made this show so special. It came along at a terrific time, right in the midst of the COVID pandemic around the world, and it gave us some some wonderful light. And some, I think, a view on, on, on how to treat others at a time when the whole world had forgotten how to behave. So in many respects, it's a very special bit of television. And uh, well done to Apple, well done to Jason Sudeikis and the crew. And now the big question is, do they come back for season four? But um, look, um, I, thought, uh, I thought the efforts of getting Pep they actually, you actually get Pep talking in Ted Lasso in the last episode, um, and that's not easy. You don't, you don't get Pep to do that sort of stuff, and um, it's, worth, it's worth looking at the show just for that Manchester City friend. Okay. Well, I haven't, I've never watched the second of it, so I'm, oh. I'm taking your word for it, well, to be honest. Well, here's I, something. I watch enough football without, without well, going I, down the, uh, yes, the fiction the be- road as well. Yes, but the, beauty of the, but the beauty of this is there's just enough football in there, right? Mm. But it's all about human beings and their, okay. their interactions. So it has an awful lot to offer. Maybe but I'll they, give it a go. Yeah, you, give, it a, give it a binge when you get a, get a moment to be off the golf course. By the way, how's your handicap? <laughs> Blimey. I haven't played golf in probably five years. I do oh, hang love on. it. Hang on. We got oh. you on the golf course only last year. Or was, it, was it the year before? We got you and we did an interview with you and you were on your way either oh, to the golf course or coming yeah, off the golf that course. Was, that was, yeah, I think that was the last time I played. I <laughs> maybe three or four years ago. But, uh, no, I don't get much chance to play golf, to be honest, because... You know, obviously, as you know, it takes you know four hours to get to, to do a full round. Correct, um, probably longer than that with with my handicap. Yep. Um, I just don't have the time, particularly during the football season. I mean, oh, as yeah. soon as the football season ends, I'm normally on a plane back to the UK. So, yeah, the, the golf clubs have sat rotting in my in my uh, apartment for quite some time, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, Robbie Thompson uh, is in France, I think, at the moment with the family, yep. and he'll be coming back uh, a little bit later in the year. We're looking forward to catching up with him. But um, will you be taking a break after the uh, the uh, the grand final, or will you be hanging around for the women's World Cup? 
Well, look, I am involved in the Women's World Cup. Um, I will be working on that, but uh, I am taking a break in the interim. Um, as soon as, actually, I've got to wait until the Argentina-Australia game, which is on the 15th of June. Uh, and as soon as that's done, then uh, I am heading off overseas. So uh, I'll, I'll have a quick break. It's not as long as my usual off-season break, which is unfortunate. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Women's World Cup. I've never actually covered one before, so... Uh, this will be fascinating. And, you know, with it being in Australia as well, hopefully it'll be uh, a great tournament, a good showcase for our sport in this country. I, I think, too, there's another element to this, um, and that is that there's a distinct possibility, and I'm getting this bu- uh, this bubble and this, this, uh, and this buzz happening around around me from people that normally don't get excited by football, and a lot of them, are, many of them are women, and it tells me that the game may well get its biggest boost in years outside of the Olympics and outside of, you know, uh, world titles and things like that. Um, So I I think being a co-host with New Zealand, um, they they could be a catalyst for something quite special. And we've now even got the government talking that they might provide us with more funding, which is something that uh, falls very comfortably on my ears. Yeah, well, look, you know, obviously that is the the long-term play. And, you know, my my fear with all of this, uh, and this is probably born out of decades, and you've been involved (laughs) in the game here a lot longer than I have, George, that, you know, we've seen a lot of false dawns down the years. Correct. Uh, We we had last year an absolutely fantastic Men's World Cup in terms of Australia's uh, performance. And we all thought on the back of that 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 was going to translate into, you know, an improved... Uh, product in terms of the domestic game. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, we <laughs> that didn't quite occur for one reason or another. Now, we, we've had occasions in the past, the Asian Cup win in 2015, um, you know, the inclusion of Western Sydney Wanderers, Alessandro Del Piero in 2013, that gave the, the, the league an, an enormous boost. Um, but we didn't capitalise upon it. And, you know, for me, the test will be, I have no doubt that the stadiums will pack out for the Women's World Cup. It'll be a great event. And people in particular will get behind the Matildas. Of course they will. Mm. But the 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 test, the acid test for me, is going to be round one in both the men's and women's next season. And I want to see increased attendance figures. I want to see more people watching on TV. Otherwise, you know, you're... All this talk of legacy really is just you know, pie in the sky. I mean, yeah. it, you know, there will be some legacy. Obviously, there'll be improved facilities in certain places, but we haven't got a new stadium out of it. No. We haven't got an awful lot of money out of the governments, which we should have done, because you can guarantee if this was a rugby World Cup or a cricket oh. World Cup, then they'd be absolutely pouring money at it. Correct. Um, so, you know, we, we've got to see some tangible benefit for it. Otherwise, you know, the World Cup will come and go and we'll be back to square one at the start of next season. And that's what I do not want to happen. I'm sorry to sound like an old commander. No, 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 no. But as you know, George, we've been down this road before. So I've already you know, seen, we, we want to see a proper legacy for this World Cup. Uh, we're talking to Simon Hill, who, of course, is doing the uh, commentary for the A-League Grand Final, the men's on Saturday night, which pits, what is it? Is it going, it's being pitched as the David versus Goliath. It's it's the Central Coast Mariners against Melbourne City. Melbourne City, again, uh, coming up. Trump's delivering a tremendously consistent season. And we saw some wonderful daring and run from this young crop of players at the Central Coast Mariners that not only excited 
many football fans, but got their region right behind them. Uh, 20,000 for the last home game. And as Richard Peel, their chair, said, a pity it wasn't our gate. <laughs> the, the gate, of course, going to the uh, APL, yeah. Yeah. which has yeah. had a yeah. checkered uh, first, first year of clear uh, sale from, from its, yeah. um, you know, uh, dismantling from or its departure uh, from, the, uh, from Football Australia. We finally have now seen one clear season of the APL. And if you're going to judge it, is it, is it just a pass, Mark? It, is <laughs> yeah, it that's just a good question? Yeah. Um, look, in terms of you know the, the the actual football on the field, there's nothing wrong with the competition. No, uh, despite the you know the preconceived ideas that it's a poor standard and it's uh, you know it's not as good as the Premier League. Well, of course it's not as good as the Premier League. You know, very few competitions around the world are as good as the Premier League. Yeah, just and ask yet, the Europeans. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the, the fans still turn up to watch those competitions and they still value their local league. So we do suffer from uh, a poor perception. And and the reason for that largely is that we've got more than enough football fans in this country, but not enough of them are fans of A-League clubs. Yeah, and so true. they tend to view it from a very dispassionate point of view. Now, you know, if I tune in to watch, I don't know, Fulham against Bournemouth in the Premier League, uh, the, the quality is not necessarily great. You know, obviously the, the top uh, sides play great football, but you know, down the down the bottom, it's not always that brilliant. But the difference is, you have full stadiums, you have committed supporter bases, and there's a narrative because of promotion and relegation, all of which, you know, ha- amps up the, the the feeling around those games and make, makes it perhaps feel a lot better in terms of quality than it perhaps is. Now we don't have that yet no. in Australia, no, um, in, in either sense. So. That drives some of that perception. In in terms of your original question, uh, as I said, I, I I think the investment in uh, you know the football side of things in, in in some ways by the APL has been okay. Uh, the problem is is that they've you know they've made a couple of big decisions that have not gone down too well. And let's be honest, the grand final decision is one of them. Yeah. Uh, now I've gone on record as saying I don't agree with it, um, and you know I've copped a bit of flack from that from within the game. Well, I don't care quite honestly. Um, this is a game of opinions. And if people in the media can't give their opinions, then we're not doing our job properly. And stand up. So, and stand up. We, yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got to you know, also be mindful of what the fans are thinking. And a lot of fans don't like it. Now, it may well be on Saturday night that we get a full house, in which case it's great. You know? But it doesn't necessarily vindicate the decision. Because that, you know, you've got to look at longer term costs in terms of the PR damage that it, it's done the competition. So, you know, there are a few different elements to it. Now, to be fair to the APL, you know, since uh, the, the furore of the grand final decision that they've recognised, at least in part, that they need to be much more consultative with, with the supporters. They, they can't just ride roughshod over the supporters with decisions of this magnitude in future. So they put in place committees, which is a good start. Um, they've made some mistakes in other areas as well, but they are new to it. And, you know, it's a difficult competition to run, particularly in Australia, where it's not the number one sport. So they were always going to make some mistakes. I'm prepared to give them a bit of leeway for that. Um, But equally, when they do make poor decisions, they've got to expect comeback. You know, we're we're, in the media. We're not PR agents for them. Uh, We cover the game, good, bad or indifferent. So, you know, we have to be able to critique it. Otherwise, uh, we lose our credibility with, with supporters. 
who pay their money to not only support at the gate, but watch on TV, buy subscriptions, etc. So, you know, it's, it's an in, interdependent relationship that we all have. And um, yeah, so in terms of that, you know, whether they get a pass mark or not, I, I don't know whether that's for me to judge, to be honest. I think that's for the supporters. Um, football without fans, as Jock Steen famously said, is nothing. <laughs> so it's what they think, not what I think that matters. Yeah, very good, very good. Pakur? Uh, Simon, I was just heading into this game on the weekend, the grand final. What is the kind of matchups that you're looking out for, obviously, as a commentator? What are, what are the things that excite you particularly about this game? Well, I think it's going to be, you know, a classic arm wrestle in terms of slightly different styles. Uh, Melbourne City, you know, try to dominate teams in terms of their possession um, and they overpower teams. I mean, we saw this in the second leg of the semi-final against Sydney, albeit that, you know, there was a big turning point after 20 minutes when Max Burgess got a red card. Uh, and as soon as Melbourne City opened the scoring, to be honest, you just could not see a way back for Sydney FC because Melbourne City smother the life out of you. You know, they're that good at doing that. And, of course, they've got quality players as well. Now, the interesting thing about the Mariners is they're not only on a good a run of good form, which City are as well, but they can hurt you a lot in transition. Mm. Um, they've not only got pace, but they've got very clever players, uh, the likes of Jason Cummings, the likes of Marco Tullio, who is in season best form at the moment. So, you know, it's it's a question, I think, of, of how the two teams set up. Do Melbourne City make changes to try and uh, accommodate the opposition or do they not bother about that? Now, to be fair, against Sydney, they made three changes, which at the time I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Nuno Reyes at right back. Um, he, he dropped Florian Berenguer and Richard van der Ven, left them on the bench. In the end, he was absolutely bang on. Uh, Nuno Reyes barely gave Adrian Segacic a kick. Might have been different had Robert Mack been fit, of course. But, uh, you know, so it's it's a fascinating matchup. There are, are, are individual battles across the field. Who wins the midfield battle, I think, will be key. Um, who does Rado Vidicic play alongside Aidan O'Neill? Does he revert to Berenguer? Um, does he play Valon Barisha a bit deeper? Does he um, restore Richard van der Ven to the midfield? Because the Mariners' middle two of uh, Max Ballard and Josh Nisbet are arguably the best central midfield pairing in the country for me. Not that they score a lot of goals, but they they do what, and I've, I've likened them this to, to this pairing before, Massimo Madoka and Matt Mackay used to do for Brisbane industry. back in the day. They provide They're little industry. terriers, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They run like rats all <laughs> over the place. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they're very difficult to, to stop. So, uh, you know, that's one really key area that I'm looking forward to seeing. The other one, of course, is, you know, who gets the service to the two top strikers in the league? Is it going to be Jamie McLaren that has a field day <laughs> or Jason Cummings or, or somebody else? So it, it's a fascinating final. And there are so many wonderful youngsters who've put their hand up this year. Mm-hmm. And I've been seriously impressed. Pakura and I was had an opportunity to speak to Nick Montgom- Montgomery on two or three different occasions. And not only do we find him uh, as a – he's a deep thinker. He's seriously focused on getting the best out of his players. And I say that by um, – and I say this in a, in a, in a very old-school way – he believes in, in, in giving them uh, as much cuddling and support as possible, but he demands, he demands 100%, not 110, mm. not 99, 100% he wants. And yeah. he's been tough on all of them. 
at different stages. And we mustn't forget the, the biggest and brightest star left the, the beginning of the year and they just got better. Yeah. So, well, he has, he, he, so he's fiery. He's, he yeah. really, he, you, know, you know how often we talk about your, the team as a mirror or almost a, um, a, you know, an, an example of the coach, the, the character of the coach. Well, if that's the case, the Mariners are as tough and, and as ornery as Nick Montgomery has committed. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, I remember watching Nick Montgomery in in the Premier League in the Championship uh, in my days in England, and you know, he is as tough as Sheffield Steel, which is where <laughs> he's from. Um, I think his teams are better to watch than that, to be honest. Yep. Um, yep. And you're right; he's he's become almost a guru to his players, and you know, from the outside, you can only watch on with admiration at how he's crafted a team that has the best of two different elements, some good young kids that you've alluded to already, but he's also uh, supplemented that with a sprinkling of very good experienced pros. Jason Cummings is one, of course. Tulio's another. Mm -hmm. Um, And Danny Vukovic between the posts, uh, you know, has been so good that, uh, you know, Mark Birigitti's absence hasn't really been noticed. He's got the best out of players like Storm Rue, who was perhaps at a little bit of a crossroads. Best season I've seen him in, yep. Uh, yep, yep. And and the other one that I wanted to mention was, and, and this had me scratching my head a little bit at the time, but it, he, again, he's proven to be absolutely bang on. I, I watched Jacob Farrell and thought that this kid's, you know, fantastic. Uh, and he brought in James McGarry during the, the transfer window <laughs> uh, in a swap deal for Thomas Aquilina for Newcastle. I thought, what's he done that for? He doesn't need it. He's got Jacob Farrell. Now, to be fair to him, James McGarry has been absolutely sensational, so much so that Jacob Farrell now can't get in the team. So, you know, he's provided competition for places as well. Um, He's not allowed those players to rest on their laurels. Uh, And that's maybe another one of the reasons why he's had so much success. Um, So I'm delighted for him. He's a good fellow, Monty. He's, you know, a football man to his marrow. And I think this is just the start of his journey as a coach. I think ultimately he will end up back in Sheffield mm. as manager of his beloved Sheffield United. And you, you you know, may the well way be. he's going, he'll deserve it. I, I cannot argue with anything that you said. The, uh, the other thing, we had an opportunity to catch up and speak to the chair of the Central Coast Mariners, Richard Peel. And he said to us, the only, thing I, the only decision I should be credited for, he says, is that I told Nick very early on, whatever you need go forth and we'll, we'll get it for you. And he brought people of the calibre of Banal. In other words, all he did was give, give Nick air mm-hmm. to carry out. He didn't, didn't put any pressure on him and he said to him, no, no, we're going to trust you. We believe in you. And he backed it up. And it's been a remarkable yeah. journey. And as we touched on, uh, you know, the very beginning, there's a discussion. Um, the community of the Central Coast Mariners which has been up and down like a yo-yo over the last decade because they've been like that. They're, they've been the yo-yo side. On a given day, they could win, but on, on most other days, they, they were lucky to put up a performance. But this season has been quite simply outstanding, and what we've seen has been this daring run and this real adventure, especially last week against uh, or the week before against uh, Adelaide. I thought Adelaide was going to go up there and upset them. Uh, because they've been so good under Carl Viet, and Carl's got a crop of youngsters there too 
that have been very exciting and, and have kept Cooper Stadium, um, you know, pulsating. And that's one of the great stadiums in this country uh, and a real football stadium. And I've loved it. And, and I thought they were going to go up there and do the business. But no, Central Coast Mariners with 20,000 people jam-packed into that wonderful stadium with the palm trees, they were incredible. And Nick, Nick and uh, Richard said to us, mm. that sound, that noise, that energy uh, was going a couple of hours after the game had finished. That's how much energy they're, 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 they're creating, uh, both at, at player level and in the community. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of them will be in Parramatta on Saturday night, which could oh, yeah. well give the Mariners uh, a big advantage. That's true. Um, you know, had it been in Melbourne at Amy Park where the City haven't lost a home game all year, then you would have thought the odds were very heavily stacked in City's favour. But I think this sort of swings the balance a bit towards uh, neutral because they'll have the majority of fans inside the stadium. J- just on the Mariners' journey, I mean... You know, you've got to give also, obviously, some credit to Alan Stajic, who started to turn the club around before uh, he departed. Yep. It's only a few years ago that the Mariners won three consecutive wooden spoons and people were wanting them thrown out of the competition. Mm. And if you also remember, they, you know, they had that ludicrous PR uh, exercise where they brought in Usain Bolt and, you know, were considering offering him a contract. Did and, you say uh, insane Bolt? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, well, yep. I mean, the decision would have been insane. Correct. Um, Correct. But, you know, they, so they've moved away from all that gimmicky stuff and all that nonsense and have returned to being a proper football club uh, with good foundations. And Alan Stadgett was a part of that. Nick Montgomery was initially the academy coach, which put that foundation in place. Uh, and now they've got that production line, which they were famed for for so many years, of course. The likes of Matt Ryan, Miller Yedinak, Trent yeah, Sainsbury, yeah. Bernie Abini, you know, they all came through the Mariners and earned the club a lot of money. Uh, and they're going to do that again because they've got their academy sorted. That's the basis of what an A-League club, or at least part of it, should be, is is to have that production line and to make money, to reinvest in the academy, to bring the next generation through. Uh, all the while, of course, while trying to, remain competitive, which is the tricky bit. But that's where you need the good coach. And thankfully for the Mariners, they've got everything. You just touched on, obviously, the key foundation of having a really good youth set up for your side and ensuring the long-term success of a football mm. club. Besides that aspect, what's what are the other things that some of these other clubs are missing out on so we can get more fans to the games and develop strong connections between fans and clubs and See when fans are going to games, they're seeing that it's not just the current group of players. There are players after that will still continue the legacy of the club onwards. It's it's a good question. To be honest, it's the sixty four million dollar question mm. that all A League clubs need to answer to a, a greater or lesser extent. And you know, obviously, there are some clubs that have been better at it than others. Melbourne Victory have been very successful, not so at the moment, obviously, but over the course of the journey, Sydney FC have done pretty well. Um, but there are a lot of others who I think have sort of fallen by the wayside for one reason or another. Now, there are various reasons for that. You know, Brisbane moving nearly an hour north of, of the city has been a massive disconnect with their supporter base. OK, they've also not had the results on the field, but it's been often quoted in Australian football circles. Oh, if you get a winning team, people will turn up. Well, they will for grand finals. 
but they won't necessarily turn up week in, week out for the next 10 years just because you play good football this season or win a trophy. And Brisbane Roar is the classic example of that. You know, if that was true, then Raw would be getting 20,000, 30,000 every week on the back of what Ange Postacoglu did there. But they're not because success is transient. And what it's about is a connection between the fan and the club. Um, now, there are many ways, of course, of achieving that. And clearly, in, in mitigation, you know, A-League clubs are still pretty young. So we've not got that intergenerational support that is endemic in Europe and South America and other parts of the world as yet. But we should be doing better than we are at the moment. Um, and that's because the clubs, by and large, um, you know, don't always listen to their supporters. Mm. They don't always have a great uh, or individual identity. A lot of A-League clubs, in my opinion, are cookie cutters of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we need stadiums that not only look like home, but feel like home. Um, it would be lovely to have some of our own. This is why people love going to Cooper Stadium in Adelaide. That's looks true. like a football stadium, smells like a football stadium. It's got red and white everywhere. It is the home of Adelaide United. And you are in no doubt about that when you go there. And that's why it's so brilliant. Uh, a lot of other clubs don't have that and don't seem to have any aspiration to have it, which just baffles me. Um, and the other thing is they've got to tap into, you know, the big playing base, uh, the junior participation levels that we bang on about endlessly. I mean, you know, just to touch on the FIFA Women's World Cup again, you know, I'd, if I hear the word participation numbers one more time out the back of this World Cup, I think I'm going to scream. We've got more than enough participants in this country. We haven't, we've got participants coming out of our ears. We don't have enough pitches for them to play on. What we need is more fans of the game paying their hard-earned so that we can build a better professional sport. And that's on the clubs. They've got to build that in their individual cities and too many of them, and Melbourne City, I'm sorry to say, are one. They're very successful. They've got a great team. And yet their crowds went down this season. How is that even possible with the team that they've got? And that's because they have not enough cut through in the Melbourne market. So they've got to work on that. And they've got to find ways to tap into the football supporter base that is clearly there in Melbourne that doesn't support victory. Now, I've gone on record as saying I think bringing in a marquee player would be one way to do it, but they seem loath to do that. It's not the only solution, but those are the sorts of things I think that clubs need to be looking at. And just one more point on this. Sorry, I know I've banged on a lot. No, no, um, go for it. Is is I think, uh, and we started to see maybe the, the first elements of this in the last couple of weeks, we're on two reports coming out. We also need a proper pyramid of football in this country, which means a second division, which means ultimately promotion and relegation. Uh, that's what football fans like. They don't like closed leagues with salary caps and no punishment for failure. Um, they want the glass ceiling removed, at least in part. And this, I'm not saying we can have it tomorrow, but the sooner we can move towards that, the better. And then we get a bit of jeopardy down at the bottom end of the table as well at the top. We need it. I wanted to touch on, because you touched on the Women's World uh, Cup, as somebody who loves the dub, and I I think it's it's an interesting league, and the the dub has had an interesting journey in the context of Mm -hmm. women's football. It used to be, I think, probably held a higher standing in the past because we used to be able to attract maybe higher quality players in the past, and we've transitioned to Mm -hmm. maybe a more development league. How do you see the, the relationship between the Matildas and... Just 
women's football in this in the as a whole in this country growing out of just having you know the fans that we have who are dedicated and committed but they're not enough to sustain you know the long-term aspirations of these mm. clubs in that sense what do you what are your thoughts around that well look the, the Matildas have the same relationship to uh, the A-League women's as the Socceroos do the A-League men's um, and again, you know, after the men's World Cup last year, we thought we'd get this knock-on effect for mm. the A-League men's, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so until the clubs do the work, both it, it's not a it's not a gender-specific issue; it's a whole of game issue. Yep. Um, the A-League men's crowds aren't big enough, and it's even worse with with the women's. Now, you know what we're seeing in the rest of the world, particularly Europe at the moment, is a huge investment, not just in in facilities and wages for players. But we're seeing investment in promotion of the women's game, promotion of those players. You, you look in the, in the media in the UK, it's, you know, you, you will read uh, pieces on the FA Women's Super League. Every not, not just celebrities, but I'm talking about the league itself. You will, mm. You'll read pieces about the FA Women's mm. Super League on a daily basis in The Guardian, in The Daily Mirror, in The Telegraph. You know, it's it's virtually everywhere. And as a result, that, that higher... Uh, publicity has driven crowds to to be a lot bigger, particularly for the big games. Um, same in Spain, same in France, same in Germany. We're seeing crowds of fifty, sixty thousand for some games. Now we're not even at a fraction of that in Australia, and that's not a problem with the A League women's per se. It's a problem with the game in this country because it's the same for the men. Yeah, very true. So it's a football problem. It's a whole of game problem. It's not gender specific. You know, if, if we talk about, oh, well, what is it going to do for A-League women's? Well, it, it's it's all part of the same pot. Um, if the men's was going swimmingly and the women's wasn't, I would say, yes, absolutely. Then that's what they fixed in Europe with, mm. say, the Premier League being massive, but the FA Women's Super League being not. They, they've leveled that up at least to a certain degree. Still got a long way to go, of course, but they've leveled it up to a degree. Our Here, special guest. we're both at low levels. Our special guest on State of Our Football Nation is Simon Hill, the man who'll be commentating on the A-League men's grand final being played at the Combank uh, Stadium in Sydney. It's the game between the Central Coast Mariners and Melbourne City. You spoke glowingly about uh, Nick Montgomery and the job that he's done there and and how the Mariners have... uh, carried a wonderful new energy into this grand final. Let's talk about Rado who wasn't the uh, Melbourne City coach at the beginning of the season. He was looking after the women's team. Um, what have you made of his journey? And compared to Nick, this uh, this man, very, very quiet. He he just sets his horses out there. Rado's not gives that quiet. Rado's pretty gives loud on the sidelines, I can't lie. Really? You've been that close, have <laughs> no, you? I watched the dub. I've seen the man. <laughs> uh, but, you know, by comparison, by comparison, if you're putting Nick and Rado long, alongside one another, uh, you'll, you'll hear Nick before you hear Rado. So what are you, what are you making of the, of the uh, Melbourne City um, turnout and the fact that uh, they have to, as they say, get themselves sorted, arrive in, in Sydney settle their nerves, and then put on a team that will best be able to handle this young and fiery group of youngsters from the Central Coast Mariners? Well, look, I think the biggest compliment I can pay, pay Rado is that, uh, um, you know, they, they've barely missed a beat since Paddy Kisnorbo left. I, I thought that might be a problem for them. 
um, when he left mid-season. But, uh, you know, he's picked up the baton and it's been relatively smooth. They've only lost three times since he took over. They won the premiership by uh, 11 points at an absolute canter. Uh, and, you know, quite uh, easily disposed of Sydney FC in, in the semi-final. So he's done really well. And if anything, I think he's, and this is no disrespect to Paddy because this is the way he builds his teams, but I actually think he's he's made City a little bit better to watch <laughs> in some ways. I think he's given them a little bit more freedom from the defensive structures that they had under Paddy. I'm not saying that they're, they're not there, but he's maybe just loosened the reins a little bit. Uh, which has made for you know exciting games involving City. They they perhaps leak a few more goals than they did under Paddy Kisnorbo. But uh, you know going forward, they've still got such a potent threat, um, and and I think he's he's done a really good job. Um, you're right, he's you know, pretty undemonstrative, Rado, but uh, that's okay. That's his personality. Um, he'll get his point across when needs be um, on, from the sideline. And, uh, you know, this. I think this would be a terrific achievement if he was to, you know, lead Melbourne City to the double in not even a, a full season in charge. He did it with uh, the dub team yep. in 2020, won the premiership and the championship. Um, and it's now a well-established sort of uh, production line now, isn't it? Because Paddy Kisnorbo came from uh, the women's team he as well. Did. So, uh, and now he's got Dario in charge, his son of the, of the women's team. So, um you know, there's there's uh, there's obviously a good succession <laughs> there in place. Um, no, I think I think he's done a terrific job, and um, yeah, w- wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know if City win the double on Saturday. There you go. Um, how are things otherwise? Have you recovered from the shock of seeing Leicester, uh, uh, you know, return to the championship after what they did about six years ago? Yeah, I th- was it a shock? I, d- I don't know. I mean, when you looked at the start of the season. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, who was then in charge, of course, he's not anymore. It's Dean Smith, but yeah. uh, you know he wasn't given any money to spend. He got a little bit during the window, but um, I remember him saying at the time, you know, we're going to have a season of struggle because we've not been able to invest in the squad. And as you know, in the Premier League, if you stand still, you yeah, go backwards. Correct. Yeah, and unfortunately, race. they just gave themselves too much to do. So uh, I feel sorry for them. You know, it was a great story. The, the the ultimate Cinderella story in 2016 when they won the Premier League. Two years ago, FA Cup winners. But, you know, that's football uh, in England. That's football in most parts of the world. If, uh, you know, if you don't perform, you get punished for it. Yeah, Dortmund are still wondering what happened. How can they get overrun by Bayern? Yeah. They did. <laughs> they did. That's unfortunate. Uh, it? Simon, yeah. it's been an, an incredible year when you add to it uh, a most magnificent World Cup in Qatar. Um, despite what uh, we were told leading into the, the tournament, the World Cup was quite extraordinary. Uh, Australia's efforts uh, through our Socceroos was magical. Uh, we gave the world champions, Argentina, one heck of a run and there was a young boy at the very end who almost uh, gave us an even bigger uh, thrill because I thought the way he took the ball down in those dying moments, spun around and hit it goalwards, uh, it, it took a quality save by quite possibly the best keeper in the competition at that, for that month or so uh, to, keep, to keep the score as it was. Otherwise, they would have been going into extra time. Now, Australia plays Argentina in China in a little while. What do you yeah. think? What do you think? 
We're going to well, see. Uh, we're going to see. A, a, you know, the coaching un- unleash Arnie unleash some of the youngsters, or is he going to play a more steadied group and try and you know put on a very solid performance? Is I'd he going to dare to win? Unleash the kids. I'd love to see him unleash the kids. <laughs> and look, you know, to be fair, they 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 didn't play defensively against Argentina at no, the World they Cup. Didn't. And you talked about that qual moment, and I, you know, I was oh, yeah. stood behind the goal <laughs> in amongst a little smattering of Australian fans. The whole stadium was Argentina, basically, apart yeah. from about five hundred of us. Yeah. Uh, and we all thought that was going to go in, but it was a wonderful save by saved by uh, Emiliano Martinez. Uh, I, I think you know Arnie obviously will be having one eye on the Asian Cup next January. Um, he's already brought Nestor here and couldn't into the squad once. I wouldn't mind see him getting at least a bit of a run off the bench. I, I think you know him and Qual and one or two of the other young kids of the future. Um, so who knows what he'll do. Uh, it's a tough game, obviously. They're playing the world champions. Uh, Messi is going to be part of the squad, or at least he is at the moment. Um, so it's you know it's a big ask to get to ask them to go to Beijing and win. But um, I think we'd love to see them go for it and uh, see what happens. But of course, you know it's it's a one-off fixture, and I guess from Arnie's point of view, with the Asian Cup around the corner, he also doesn't want to go there and lose five or six nil, no, and then true. have. Th- the next four or five months to, to dwell on that result yep. before he can get them back. So, uh, yeah, it's you know that's the vagaries of being an international coach, isn't it? The very reasonable Simon Hill giving us a piece of his mind as he uh, prepares to take the Paramount Plus and uh, Channel Ten commentary into the grand final. Uh, you guys starting about what seven o'clock, or will you be in, on a little bit earlier? On Saturday, that's a that's a good question, George. I think it's seven o'clock. Right, um, but check your guide for details. <laughs> I can't tell you off the top of my head. I know we kick off at seven forty-five, so that's when I'll be on. <laughs> yeah, all right, my boy. Have a listen. All the very very best. Uh, have a great call Thanks, and uh, and uh, have an extended break. Uh, you've certainly earned it. It's been a big year. And by can I also take a moment to say congratulations on all the stuff that you've done on Offsiders. Um, I, I think um, the half a dozen appearances you've made this year, you talked the most sense and you gave the game a chance to, um, uh, you know, to be understood a little bit better by some segments of the marketplace that don't I'm always think about... i a few people too, yes, George. That's all right. <laughs> and, and, so, and long may it continue. Simon Hill, our that's special guest. That's part of our job. Good on you, my boy. Thanks. There Cheers, guys. Thank you. There you go. Simon Hill on State of Our Football Nation. And uh, as Pakur and I have said uh, on a number of occasions throughout the year, it's always fun when you get uh, a special guest and they give you not only uh, what they believe is fair and reasonable, but they're prepared to also stick by their beliefs. And Simon, as he said, has, uh, has upset a few people. But for the good of the game, I think it'll bear fruit in the long run. Uh, until next week. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.